0: Good morning. It is a massive privilege to get to open God's Word with you this morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We are continuing our series called Christ is King. We've been looking at glorying in the preeminence of Christ in all of life. I don't even have a beard and it's doing that. I've got no excuse. I need to change anything? Okay. Uh, So we've been looking at the preeminence of Christ in all of life. We've talked about how Jesus is Lord over our members and over our money and over our time. We've talked about him being king over the little moments of our life and our mission to magnify him in all of life. And last week, David took us through Christ being king over marriage. God designed marriage. He's the one who joins people together in covenant marriage. And as we get to Christ today being king over husbands, I'm going to pick up where I left off last week, which is this is not just a message for single people and wives to tune out for. All right, I want to... We're going to look at God's design for the home and what a husband is so that you know uh, if you're single, if you're a single woman, what you're praying for. If you're a single man, what you're aiming to be. Uh, If you are a woman, how you can be praying for your husband. And also, this is going to set up next week's message for Christ being king over wives. And so this is a message for everyone Because God's word is open and he will be speaking. One of the problems that we face in marriage, I think even in the church, is that we can lose sight of what marriage is for. You can't succeed at anything if you've lost sight of the reason for why you're doing it. So even for us, if we're talking about being successful in our marriage as husbands, it is possible to forget the reason of why God designed husbands. What is a husband for? And if we're not careful, we can just boil down success in marriage at merely being as happy as we can and staying together. Now, mere contentment in the home and staying together is not God's design for your home. That is not, you're not killing it as a husband if your wife's like, well, at least we're still together. But the enemy's counterfeit is, I I think, one of his primary aims for men is to think about things in terms of a a merely physical plane. So rather than thinking about the emotional and spiritual responsibility that we have to love and to lead our wives, we can boil things down to just mere physicality. And so this may be overly stereotypical or it could be where you drift to on your worst days. I'm going to work really hard to provide for this family, and I want you to be sexually available to me when I get home. Uh, please don't uh, demand too much from me emotionally. I'm exhausted. And if you could appreciate me and all I do for our family at the same time, that would be great. Now, those thoughts every husband has had, but we can kind of boil things down to, I right, I've got this... A lot on me. And the weight of this family is on me, and so I'm gonna go out and work and provide. And what more do you want from me? And this acknowledges part of the physical responsibility that husbands have, but it completely abdicates the emotional and the spiritual responsibility that we have to love and to lead our wives and our children. And we'll get into that in another week. It's where most men drift to without effort and work, I think, because physical discipline. And emotional health and spiritual leadership are hard work. They're hard. They don't come naturally. You don't drift to emotional health and healthy spiritual leadership. They take effort and hard work. And most men want to excel in things that we're good at. This is a product of the fall. I've talked to so many men about this, and I think one thing that all men have in common is feeling like a failure. And a lot of times you just don't want one more thing to fail at i just don't want to try one more thing and lose and so i'd rather not try than try and fail or something I've, i work so hard in all these other areas i can't just exert myself in one other area when it's just not me and so what subconsciously happens is men will find another man to compare themselves to or they'll blame the reason why they're not leading their home the way that God's called them to on their upbringing or their dad's or uh, not having a better example. But God has more for us, brothers. He does. And by the enabling grace of Christ, he can help us to be the men that he's called us to be in the home so that we can love and lead our wives for the glory of Christ, who is king over husbands. So I'm gonna give you the main point of where we are headed today in Ephesians 5 and then I'm going to pray for us as we dive in. So this is this is the entire substance of today. Husbands are to put Christ on display as they lead and love their wives. Husbands are to put Christ on display as we lead and as we love our wives. Let's pray. Lord, it is an immense privilege to get to do anything in your name. Lord, if we look at the weight of some of the things that you have called us to without the help of your grace, we'll quickly be overwhelmed. And you have called us to these great and weighty callings so that we would learn to depend on you in the midst of our weakness and need. And so I pray that today you would come and give us a breathtaking vision of what it means to be a husband and how we can faithfully take up that calling in the fear of God with greater faithfulness and how we can aim as a church to support this, to encourage this, to exhort to this for the glory of your name, we pray, amen. Okay, Ephesians 5, uh, we will begin in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit, to, uh, submit in everything to their husbands. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So we are picking up where David left us off last week, which is that the purpose of marriage is to put the covenant relationship between Christ and his bride on display. That's why God designed marriage to magnify Christ as we exhibit to each other and to the watching world this is a picture of the covenant relationship between jesus christ and his bride the church so that's where we're starting the substance the the starting point of what it means to be a husband is christ Just in this text, and we're not spending long here because David was here last week and we're going to get into the role of being a husband, but the substance is this mystery that is great. And Paul's saying, when, when I say, referring back to marriage, that a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife in a one flesh covenant union, I'm saying that this mystery ultimately refers to the mystery of Christ leaving his father and holding fast to a wife that he redeemed for his own possession. And we became one flesh with Christ, partakers of the divine nature, actually indwelled by God himself. Just from this text, we see that Christ is the head of his church and its savior. He rules his church with absolute authority and with complete grace and kindness. But he's the unquestioned master Of his bride. He brought us into union with him by giving himself up for us, verse 25 and 32. So, this is what he was doing. He laid his life down for us so that we could be brought near to God, and he did it in love for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever would believe on him would not perish but have eternal life by becoming part of his bride by God's grace through faith. He was redeeming for himself a bride. Our union with him that this text talks about is vital. Men, listen, this union with him is vital if you are going to be the husband that he's called you to be. You cannot be the husband that God's called you to be apart from Christ. Apart from Christ in you, the hope of glory. Apart from yielding to his life in you and walking by his spirit, him producing in you and enabling in you everything that he calls us to do and to be. This text says that Christ loved us at the cross. When it refers to the love that husbands are to have for their wives, it says, just as he loved us, past tense, this point in time, redemption, when he laid down his life for his bride. This is what, it, what truest love looks like Laying down yourself for the life of another. And greater love has no one than this that they would lay down his life for his friends, but God loved us, and that while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. So he loved us at the cross. He right now is sanctifying us as his bride. He is cleansing us. He is producing in us a holiness and one day soon he is going to present us before the presence of his glory with great joy without blemish all of us who long to be like christ we say hallelujah that day is coming soon christ is winning and he will present you before his presence without blemish and complete holiness and he is working in you right now to produce that He who began a good work in you is right now bringing it to completion. And for a lot of you, he's using your marriage to do that. Sanctifying us in the midst of our marriages that are meant to image him. He's shaping us. He's disciplining us. And this is a massive help, brothers, this morning. He has promised that you can come into his presence boldly for mercy and help in time of need. And I want to, using this text, paint a picture of what it looks like to be a God-fearing husband so that we would come underneath the weight and the responsibility of it and say, I have to run to the throne of grace for mercy and help in time of need. I'm not, I'm not going to see the weight of this and run from it or be passive and abdicate my responsibility. I'm going to Christ so that he can enable me to image him in the way that he loves and leads his bride with absolute authority and sacrificial love so this is the substance God loving us and Christ laying down his life for us and the shadow what is meant to point to Christ and point to this reality is marriage and specifically today husbands man I want you to think about the awesome and the fearsome privilege that it is that god has uniquely put on you the responsibility in the marriage to be the image of christ so that as the world looks on or the church looks on to your marriage they are to know who jesus is and what he is like by the way that you love and lead your wife that is a fearsome privilege and one to be taken up reverently and in the fear of god The way you love and lead your wife is communicating something about Christ. And the question is, what is the way that you love and lead your wife communicating about him? Is it telling the truth about who he is and the covenant that we have with him as his bride? So the first thing I want you to see about husbands from this text, we're looking at headship, His authority and responsibility in the home, and the way that we are called to love our wives. So we're looking at leadership and love. So first, the husband is the head of the wife. Verse 23, it's very clear, stated explicitly, "...for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior." So what does headship mean? What what does husband mean? Husband comes from a term that's Old English or Old Norse, and it means house dweller or the master of the house. That's what husband actually means. It connotes being the master of the home. The husband is the head of his household, like Christ is the head of the household of God. So there's no... God does not share headship of the household of God with his bride. He is the head of the household of God, his bride. And the husband is to rule in the home with the authority that God delegates to him. It's not an intrinsic authority. It is an authority that God has entrusted to him, that he is the steward in the fear of God as he leads his wife and his children. So, I want to look at this headship in two parts. One, authority and leadership, and then the responsibility. So, I think David referenced this text last week from 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. Paul says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So, the head of His wife is the husband, and the head of man is Christ. And it's very important. We see that God has entrusted the authority of the home to the husband, but he is to wield and exercise that authority as a man who is under authority. This is not an authority to be abused or exercised domineeringly. We ourselves are under the headship of Christ as we exercise headship in the home. Now the lie of the enemy bought wholesale by the world as it relates to authority, I think is twofold. So I was thinking about this and we know, okay, the lie of feminism is that a woman has worth and value in so much as she is acting like a man and has the same responsibilities as a man. And so... Even the idea of headship in the home and the role of exercising authority in the home is seen to be misogynistic and somehow oppressive to women just by holding up God's good design of a godly man leading his home. But now you also have not just that authority is uh, where value comes from or where people can find their dignity, You also have authority as being somehow inherently dangerous or wrong. So that any mention of authority automatically equals oppression, abuse. And so it's to be shunned or rejected out of hand. And we just need there to be complete flatness. No roles, no authority, just complete what we would, what the world would dub as fairness. Now, there are abusive men and abusive abuses of power in the world as a product of the fall. And that is a painful reality. But the solution is not to reject God's design for the home or for society. The answer for abusive or domineering or evil men is the gospel of Christ and good and righteous men to stand up to them. The enemy wants a world that is genderless and without roles. We know that. Now, the danger for us with Christian homes is for the contours of the enemy's antichrist christ agenda, agenda to shape our marriages and the way that we operate in the house. So we have to be on guard against blurring the roles of husbands and wives, where on paper we would advocate, yes, there are two genders, of course, And God has roles for us as male and female, of course. But inside my marriage, I don't know how that operates. And we just kind of blur the lines, blur the responsibilities. And a lot of times this would look like men abdicating the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual leadership of their homes to their wives. This can look like not leading at all. It can just look like a complete passivity, right? We go back to that concept of just operating on a physical plane. Look, I'm going to go out and work hard and make sure that we have a roof over our heads and food on the table, and you take care of the kids. This is my domain. That's your domain. But that's not true. The husband is the head of his wife and his children and is the leader of his home. It can look like men doing whatever they can to keep peace. Uh, it's the path of least resistance. It's, it's doing whatever I have to do from things getting overly emotional or overly conflict-related. So rather than doing the hard work of leading through something complicated or hard emotionally or spiritually, I'm just going to remove myself and let you lead. If the enemy can keep us operating on a physical plane, then wives will lead either with their emotions, and they will be the functional rulers of the house because the husbands are scared of their wives' emotions or scared of conflict, or they will just, I see this a lot with men, my wife knows the Bible better. She has a deeper relationship with God. I don't even know if I can catch up, and so she's going to lead the house. But husbands will have to give an account before God, not just for how we led our children, but for how we led our wives. Men, you, listen to this, you and not your wife are the ultimate leader of your home. And you're to gladly partner with her in life, in the leadership of your children, in the leadership of your household, with you as a leader and her as your helpmate. That is God's design. So I want to give you a couple of examples because this does not mean that you have to have all the ideas and that she just sits by with a myriad of gifts and wisdom and talent and desires and she's just sitting there passive waiting on you and that she can't contribute. That's not what this means. But it does mean that you as men are the one who is primarily proactive in leading your home. You take the initiation. So I want to give you a couple of examples because this can seem kind of out there if we bring it home. Let's say you have some major life decision. Godly leadership does not say, well, this is what I said we're going to do, and so get along with it and let's go. You seek out the counsel and the wisdom of the wife that God has given to you. You seek out her wisdom and her desires, and you seek uh, unanimous being on the same page, seeking to love her and lead her into the will of God for your home. And if at some point, which in my experience in 12 years has been very rare that there's some kind of impasse, then the ultimate decision falls to you as the leader of your home. Or take something like family worship or prayer with your wife and your wife is more spiritual than you. Your wife has walked with God longer than you. She knows the Bible better than you. And so rather than abdicating the leadership of family worship to your wife, it looks something like, babe, I think that we should read the Bible at the kitchen table. Do you have any ideas? Right? And so there's this partnership, but the initiation, the proactive, the the anti-passivity in the husband is saying, let's do this. Now help me do this. And she could just need you to open the door of like, I've just been waiting for you to ask. Right? She, but she, she, I promise you, if you're not currently doing this in your home, your wife is longing for you to lead. Even if she has all the ideas. Or when there's a lack of peace and it comes time to seeking forgiveness, go to Elijah for her hilarious video after this for what forgiveness does not look like. He didn't make the video. He just showed it to me, so not throwing him under the bus. But if, if you have a conflict, and this is true for believers, but if there is a conflict, and let's just say by some miracle she's 95% wrong and you're 5% wrong, that's probably in your head, but let's just imagine for this case that's, that's the ratio Being the leader of your home looks like coming with humility and conviction and seeking out, genuinely repenting over where you are wrong and modeling for your wife how to repent, how to seek out forgiveness. And she is called to follow your example. It does not look like, I'm really sorry for my 5% that was caused by all your 95%. That's not, what we, that's not what it is. It is this, I'm going to initiate, as far as it concerns me, us being at peace. And I'm going to lead us through hard conversations until we have peace so that the sun doesn't go down on our anger. And I'm going to lead us this way because I'm the leader of this home. So this is the, the authority that belongs to the man to lead and to initiate in his home. And it is your responsibility as a man. When Eve sinned first and Adam followed her into her sin, which is how the enemy attacked, right? And the enemy came at Eve. Adam should have watching, keeping. The enemy comes at the woman. She sins and Adam follows her into her sin. And he was responsible for his household. When God came to look at them in the garden, he does not come to Eve first. He says, God came to the man and said, where are you? That's what it looks like in your home, brothers. If your wife falls into some sin, you follow her into it, 95 and 5. Adam, man, where are you? Daughter, I will come to you, I will talk to you, but I want to speak to the man of the house because he is responsible for leading you, for keeping you, for watching over you, for protecting you. So the husband has authority and responsibility for the leadership of his wife. Now, what is he to do with it? What does that look like? Well, the next verse, the the first admonition, you can go to Colossians three. It's the same exhortation. Husbands, love your wives. I want to pause right there, even before we get to how and what that looks like. It's it's your wife. Love your wife. The husband is the head of his wife. The husband is not head over everybody else's wives. This is not men being the head over all these other women. This is husband, you are the head of your wife, and you are to love her and only her. The, the language that Paul gives in the qualifications for deacons and elders who are to be examples to the flock, the, the reason why these qualifications are there for the leaders of the church is so that the church would follow. It's not that only elders and deacons need to be these husbands of one wife. It's that all the church is called, every man in the church who is married is called to be a one-woman man is the language of the text. And the leaders of the church are to be an example in this. Follow me as I follow Christ. I am a one woman man. Proverbs 15, I mean 5 verse 18 says, Rejoice in the wife of your youth. You go and you get a wife and then you love her. And rejoice means to take joy again. Take joy in the wife that you've had your lifelong, the one wife, and rejoice in her again. Joy comes from gratitude. It comes from, God, I can't believe that you gave me this woman. And I'm going to take joy in her again. No matter how different we are, no matter how frustrated I can get, no matter how what we've been going through lately, whatever it is, this is a command. Rejoice in the wife of your youth and love her. I think one of the most helpful examples to me is that, husbands, your wife is to be like Eve to you, the only option. Adam woke up, and he's like, hello, Eve. And guess who else he was not saying hello to? There was nobody else there. She was amazing. She had his heart and his eyes, and there was no other option. And that is exactly the same case for you. There is no other option. Love your wife like she's the only woman and like she's a delight to you. And then Paul says not just to love her as you understand it or according to your feelings or as comes natural to you or in ways that you have established with the pattern of your life. Love her like Christ loves the church. Now in John 15, verse 9, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. That, to me, is one of the most staggering verses in the entire Bible. He's saying the perfect and holy God of the universe, who has always lived in relationship with His Son, who has loved His Son perfectly from all of eternity, has now had this cascading waterfall of love go over the banks of His Son, and now it is running onto you, and He loves you with all the same force, and fury and holiness as he loves his own son with. If you are in Christ, he could not love you more. So why Paul is praying. I pray that you would begin to understand and comprehend this limitless love of Christ. This dimensionless love that he has for you. And we see this blend of absolute authority and A love that lays itself down in John chapter 13. Uh, Beginning verse 1, and then I'm going to read verse 12 through 15 quickly. Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So that's that's the intro kind of thesis of the text. He loved his own to the end. Then he washes their feet. And then he says, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. So, Husbands, this is the example that Christ has given us to follow. He is the master of his house and the Lord over all. He says, you call me Lord, and you are right. I am the Lord. But... And so he he doesn't abdicate his authority to serve, but he shows us how to use the authority that we've been given by God to serve those who we lead. We lead with a servant-hearted love. So I want to summarize where we're at so far before we get into specifically what this love looks like. Husbands are to be the loving, servant-hearted masters of their home. We're to use the God-given authority to love and serve and cherish our wives in the fear of God under the mastery of Christ. Christ is our master, and he has delegated his authority to us in the home. He has loved us, and we are to take the love that we have received from Christ and lavish it on our wives. So, first thing that this looks like, I think this means when it says, he loved the church, it's pointing back to the cross, as he gave himself up for her. So, the first thing this love looks like, I'm going to give you, and we're going to go rapid fire from here sacrificial, unconditional, abandoned to the Father's will. This kind of love husbands are called to lavish on their wives is sacrificial and unconditional, and it is abandoned to God's will. This is a strong, a strong love. I've been meditating on Jesus going to the cross as we near Good Friday in Easter. And what has been the most staggering to me this year is how completely strong and in control Jesus is. He is setting his face with absolute purpose to go and accomplish a redemption that God had called him to from before the foundation of the world. He is mocked and reviled by men whom he could destroy in a moment. And he doesn't. He declares over them, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. You would have no authority unless it's been given to you by my father. This is the ultimate picture of a strong man with intentional purpose, having all authority and strength and boldly and courageously using it in sacrificial love for his bride. And he's doing so because it is what the Father had called him to do. The greatest enemy to a husband loving his wife like Christ loved the church is his own self-love and his own pride. So we talk about loving our wives, like Christ loved the church, it means you have to deny yourself and die to your own pride and in, to your own self-love and your own self-pity because this love is a sacrificial, unconditional kind of love. So every husband knows what it, this kind of self-life, self-love looks like, this kind of self-pity that She doesn't understand or appreciate how much is on my shoulders and how much I carry and understand how much I need a break, and this is falling to me again and again. Or a self-love that's lazy and rejects emotional and spiritual hard work. In Colossians 3, verse 19, the only other command, the negative command that Paul gives to husbands, love your wives, is... And do not, the ESV says, do not be harsh with them. But the language is, do not be bitter towards them. Do not be embittered towards them. And I was thinking and meditating on that. Like, why, why is that the one thing that he goes at? And I think, because husbands can be a bunch of babies. We can be so prideful and prone to self-love And bitterness wells up in us because God designed us to be stronger and to carry a load and to rescue our wives and we start to begrudge her needing us instead of gladly taking it up with strength and it becomes poisonous. But we're called to a a sacrificial love that lays our life down again and again and again and it's unconditional. And this is so huge. I, I think sometimes... It's like, if you're not tired and everything's said just right and she's loving you well, then things seem like they're great. And all of a sudden, you get less sleep, crazy stuff happens at work, and she's had a hard day and she acts or speaks to you in a tired way. And it's like, whoop, bets are off. Regardless of what sin she's committed against you, how she's talked to you, how she's disrespectful, been disrespectful or miscommunicated. You are responsible for your own bitterness and anger. He says, love your wife and don't be embittered against them. Confessing your sin to the Lord and other brothers, living before God and your wife with a clean conscience. This starts to get at what Peter writes about when he says, husbands, this is chapter 3, verse 7, live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Namely, God has designed for you to be strong in areas that she's weak and you're to honor her as a fellow heir of the grace of life. And if you live before God, embittered against your wife and not living with her in an understanding way, it will inhibit your prayers the way that God hears you. This has a direct effect on your relationship with God and your effectiveness as praying as a righteous man. So Christ's example is our North Star. Our, our aim in marriage is magnifying him, and he is the one who drives our husbandry, not our wives. He is the one, by his example and by his indwelling life, that determines how we will love and lay our lives down for our wives, not It's not a responsive love. It's an initiating love that lays itself down regardless of how she responds or receives it. I've got to fast forward. So as we lead our wives, we do so under the authority and example of Christ. Paul's argument here is not just that you should love your wife more than yourself, but when you love your wife, you're loving yourself and your collective life together because you have been joined together and you are no longer two but one. I want to point you to, in the moments when you feel torn and attacked by the enemy, to prioritize yourself, your pride, your self-love, your pity of yourself, Instead of your wife, you go to Jesus in the garden who, when faced with temptation to go a different way other than the Father's will, when his bride was on the line, he cries out, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so we follow Christ's abandonment to the will and the design of the Father. Regardless of how we feel or how long our day has been or what you feel like you deserve, We obey because this is the Father's will for us. And we say, Father, not my will, but your will be done. So I'm going to move from this love is unconditional, sacrificial, in view of the Father's will. I want to go in our last moments of this message looking at what does it mean to love by nourishing and cherishing your wife? Because this is what he says, no one ever hated his own flesh, but instead, by contrast, in contrast to hatred, which we all know is love over here, in contrast to hatred, he says, you don't hate your own flesh, you nourish and cherish it. So just like Christ does the church. So if we're talking about loving our wives like Christ loves the church, he loves the church by nourishing her and by cherishing her. And so what does this mean? You remember I said that husband means master of the house or ho- house dweller. It came to mean in like as a verb to manage carefully or to cultivate, like husbandry, like caring for a vine, which I think is beautiful that they took a, a word that means the leader of the house, and they turned it into someone who cares and cultivates and causes to flourish this vine, this plant over here, and... Is at the heart of what it means to nourish and cherish your wife. Cherish means to make warm or to care for without neglect. So we're literally talking about providing a warm place and protecting your wife. And nourish means to feed or to care for. So both of these words connote loving care, one by protection and the other by provision. You're to keep and to cultivate, protect and provide. And we're to do these things physically and spiritually. So I just want to walk through those quickly and we can have, men, if you want to have a roundtable discussion, you want to have follow-up Q&A for practical things that this could look like in your home, that's what you have pastors for. Um, And we can do that. So, First, let's talk about cherishing and protecting our wives. Uh, physical, I feel like this is what most men get pretty intuitively. But just in case we're not clear, you are charged by God to protect your wife physically. It means being prepared to protect her in big and little ways. It, this says it means to make warmer, to care for without neglect. So it means that we are proactively giving intentional care and concern to protecting our wives from little things like keeping the light and the heat on to defending her in the event of a break at, break in to making sure that the driveway is salted so she doesn't slip and fall this, this is just the responsibility of the husband to protect and keep his wife but this is also true spiritually You are called to be the watchful shepherd of your home, to be sober-minded for the purpose of prayer. This is your responsibility. So if your wives are part of this church, they have pastors, but the one who is called to be their shepherd most intimately and consistently is you, To, to lead her spiritually like you're pastoring her soul because you are. Um, I was thinking about things, and you can add to this list. I would love to hear what else you would add to this. I was thinking about ways or things that your wife needs to be protected from spiritually. The first one that I came up with, we already talked about, is you, your sin. You need to protect your wife from your own sin, your lust, your anger, uh, your self-pity. We need to be quick to listen Quick to lead and asking for forgiveness when we sin and to model a heart after God, to model humility. So, the first way that we're to protect our wives is by being godly men. That's also going to go into nourishing, giving her an example to follow, but it also serves as protection for her. She doesn't have a domineering husband, she doesn't have an abusive husband, she doesn't have a husband who's addicted to pornography or tempted to go after other women. She is protected. Because she lives in the house of a godly man. Uh, We need to protect her by leading her out of her sin. She is accountable for her own sin. Your wife, when she stands before God, it does not have to go through you. When We talk about being the priest of your home. We're talking about you praying for your wife and interceding for her. But she is a follower of Jesus herself and goes directly to the Father without you. She's accountable for her own sin. But you all are called to be her shepherd. And to exercise watchful care over her, so it looks like being wise and discerning and making sure that she's intaking what is good and having good conversations about her soul and her pursuit of God and what she's reading in the Word and how her prayer time's going and how her hope and faith is and how much she's intaking of things that would tear her soul down, whether it be Gossip, or too much social media or listening to the wrong kind of preachers and reading the wrong kind of books. You are loving her and protecting her and exercising watchful care over her soul, kindly leading her to repentance with God's word when needed and inviting her to do the same in your own heart and life. And this, I added in here, I think it's big. You need to protect her by esteeming her from... Uh, harshness or disrespect that she may experience in your home or from extended family. Husbands need to stand up for their wives. And it could be with regard to your own children. But that's like, there's like capital offenses in our home. And at the top is being disrespectful to your mother. It very quickly becomes, don't talk to my wife that way. Just so we're clear. So we need to protect her. I could, we could spend so much longer talking about physical, emotional, spiritual, but you are called to cherish your wife in the way that you keep her and protect her. You're also called to nourish her or to provide for her. This is the same word that Joseph uses in Genesis chapter 45 when he calls his family to come live in the land of Goshen. He says, there I will provide for you. There I will nourish you. And so, again, physical, you know what this looks like. This is probably where most men excel. I'm going to provide for my wife. I I got that. So one out of four is not bad, right? (laughs) We got physical protection and provision, spiritual protection and provision. So, yes, provide for your family. Be disciplined to provide For your wife to fulfill her calling, but spiritually, this looks like being on the offense, proactively, washing her with the water of the word. That's what Jesus does. It is going to be the greatest privilege of husbands when their wives stand before God and they're able to present their wives before Jesus more like Christ than she would have been if she had not been married to him. That ought to be our goal. It's like I am laboring over your heart to help you. Husbands and wives are on each other's team. And so I want Kayla to point out sin in me so that I can model humility and confession and forgiveness and holiness. And I have to partner with her in her own sanctification. But I am called to lead us in this. I'm called to set the table to say, I want to be approachable so that you can come to me and point out to me where I'm wrong. And I want you to be humble and approachable so that I come to you and I can point you to Jesus. But what does this look like in your home, leading her to Christ and to his word again and again, leading her into the church? So we don't have men in our church who are sending their wives and their kids while they're off Providing. That is not provision. That is negligence from what God has called us to be. Because our calling to provide for our families is not just physical. It is spiritual. And we're to lead the way. So we lead her to church. We lead her in praying over her. And we lead her in praying with her. It's that stat that's, I don't even know how accurate it is now. It's been around for a long time. It's like the divorce rate in the world or even in the church is like 40%, 50%. But for couples who pray together, it's like 1%. So you should do that. We lead by our example in humility and holiness, in faith and hope and love. Your wife gets to be the first one where you live out the one anothering of Scripture, where you bear one another's burdens, where you confess your sin to one another, where you uh If anyone's caught in any trespass, let you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Love each other. Bear each other's burdens. Forbear with one another. All of these different things that the Bible calls us to do and be in the church, we get to lead the way and start in the home with our wife. So I already gave you guys this, but that's my biggest prayer for us is, Because of the way that husbands in this church love and lead in their homes, they have wives who are flourishing and love being under their leadership. They are growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. They're walking by the Spirit and bearing the fruit of the Spirit because they've seen it modeled in you. And we have the great joy and expectation of presenting our families, our wives included, before the Lord Jesus and say, Been faithful that's what he wants they're not yours but he's entrusted her to you and says make a return nourish her cherish her lead her love her like christ loves the church and may she be holy and without blemish presented before jesus with great joy when you see him let's pray Lord Jesus, we praise you. Only in you do we see with absolute holiness and purity what it looks like to be the master and the servant of all. And that's what we want, Father, uh, an authority that is real authority that lays itself down in love unconditionally and sacrificially, that takes seriously the call that you've given us to love and to lead, to protect and to provide in all the ways that you've called us to do it. And so I pray as we head to the table, God, there could be a lot of ways that we need to confess sin before you. Lord, our great hope is not that we come to the table because we're worthy, but because Christ is worthy and you've shed your blood for our sins so that we can come to you with real forgiveness. But before we come, we want to examine our own hearts. And we want to be honest. God, show us where we have been negligent in this. Whether as wives negligent in praying for and submitting to their husband's leadership, or for husbands being negligent in the ways that we have not led well, Or have loved well God convict us of sin and may we bring it to you and confess it with the full knowledge that if we confess our sin that you are faithful and just to forgive us and that you have by your blood removed our sins from us as far as the East is from the West thank you Lord Jesus for loving us we want to be a faithful picture of the way that you've loved us we want to take and give your love away as we have received it. Well, we, we need you. We cannot do it without you. Would you please lead us and enable us by your grace. For your glory and your name we pray. Amen.